I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'd like you to look with me at one verse in chapter 4. Let me read the verse, and then I'll tell you why I've selected this verse as a text. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not broken. Now, as a couple of weddings that I have used that during the wedding, illustrating the strength that comes in a bond of two people with God at the center of it. And when they stay united with him and together, it's not very likely that that marriage will ever be broken. But you can also use the same thing in our Christian life. You know, the devil's trying to do a lot of things right now. And the devil's busy trying to disrupt as much as he can. And I'm thinking, you know, we should, all of us, we should be strong. We should be strong that even though we're assaulted and fiery trials come our way and problems confront us, we have something that God has given us that is greater than that because it is able to withstand Going so far as to say we are more than conquerors through Christ or the weapons of our warfare are totally sufficient to the pulling down of strongholds, squelching all the fiery darts of the wicked. Whatever the devil can do, whatever he is doing, we should not fall because of it. None of us should. But I do know this, that you can early in your life hear about these wonderful things. You first come to the Lord, you're full of zeal, you're like an owl on a limb. You really want to learn, and you're, you're seeking after the Lord. You're talking to people a lot, and it's exciting because it's new. But I've also watched through the years that you can also get so used to it that you begin to take it for granted And where you once had your guard up fighting and making sure that when the devil came around, you immediately engaged in warfare because you don't want to lose. You want to win. God is glorified in victory, not in defeat. And yet, through the years, you can relax your grip. You can relax your stand. You can begin to assume on God or take for granted that because you've been here, because you've heard that, because you fought that once, you know, it's pretty much okay now, and it doesn't work like that. You have to constantly keep your guard up. And if you put the right components together in this threefold cord, you won't fall, you won't come apart. You'll be attacked, yes. You may go through the struggles of life and sometimes wonder if you're even going to make it or have you missed it somewhere and everything is crazy. But if you'll keep in mind that God speaks plainly and that what he said, he watches over to perform. I mean, we can't forget that. I don't care what else is going on. Remember, first of all, what God has said. He said, for example, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am greater in you than he that is fighting against you in this world. In Christ, you are more than conquerors and so forth. We must remember that. We must not let words like that slip in our lives. Because if we do, we begin to struggle in in, in a condition that we don't know what's going on. 
But the problem is we begin to let things slip. I suspect that's true. We begin to let things slide. We take things for granted. I know I've been reminded of that in my Christian life. Some kind of a trial comes my way or the beginning of it. You say, ah, the blood of Jesus. Next thing you know, it's there and, and it's in full bloom. Well, wait a minute, I said the blood of Jesus. Yeah, well, that's good. That's not hard to say. It's easy to say. But you've got to fight now. You've got to draw your weapon. Don't forget what you've been taught. These are things you don't want to let slip in your life. You're ambassadors of Christ on this earth. You weren't made to be meat for the devil. You weren't made to be defeated. God did not save you in order that you may go down. You're to be triumphant in Christ. Paul said he leads us daily in triumph in Christ Jesus, daily. And daily we should have a testimony. Sometimes it doesn't look like it because we're going through a trial, but we should have the testimony. The words of our mouth should confirm the words of God. And when they do, faith is a product of that person's life. Now, I want you to turn to Proverbs 29. Go back one book to the left, just a few pages, Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Now, this threefold cord I'd like to talk with you about this morning, there's three words I want to use. The first word for a threefold cord, an element in your life that adds stability and strength, is vision. You have got to know where you're going and you've got to know what you believe. You're an aimless walker without that. You're just a product of religion without that. Vision. And once you have vision, now trust me with this one, you've got to have fire. There's got to be something in there that is alive, something in you that motivates you, that compels you to do what God is saying. We call it fire or we call it zeal. Each one of these words have little subtitles. Vision could be revelation, insight. Fire could be zeal and enthusiasm. The third word is perseverance, staying with it, never giving up, holding fast to the end. If these three things are put together, if you will listen to what I'm saying this morning, I know what I'm saying is right. I believe it's the, the Lord gave it. And if you will think about this and go home after you hear it, think about it through the week. Ask yourself the hard questions. Do I have vision? Do I have fire? Am I persevering? Don't assume that you are. Ask yourself if you are. Examine yourself to see if truly you're living this faithful life. This is so important for us. It is for all of us. Let's take, first of all, vision. Proverbs 29 and verse 18, I hope you're familiar with this because it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no living revelation of God, where there is no living fresh word from God, the people have no direction and every man will do that which is right in his own sight and will be allowed to do it and does his things his own way. The word perish we'll get to again shortly. It means to let loose. 
it's a word that describes people being left to run wild, as one commentator said. Everybody has his own opinion. Everybody has their own way of thinking about it. And religion says, well, if that's, you know, who, who am I to judge you? If that's what you believe, that's... And as a result, you've got a whole kingdom called Christianity, which people are just living this way and that way without regard for what God says because the word isn't taught. And when the word is not taught, when you hear the word, if there's not a revelation of that word given to your heart by the Lord, then it doesn't mean anything to you. If the word doesn't have any meaning to you, it won't guide your life. It won't become a conviction that you have. It has to become clear to you. Like Paul prayed that verse in Ephesians 1, that God would give to you his prayer for the church. Of all the things you could pray for churches, Paul said, my prayer for you is that God would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Without that, what are we doing? How do you even know where you're going? When I was growing up, I, I was a member of the Christian church. You were a member of whatever church you were in. I can honestly say as I look back and try to evaluate where I was, it was just something you did. Some were Methodist, some were Baptist, some were Church of God, some were Christian church, some whatever. My dad was Catholic. You, you just belong to something. Socially right people do that. Presbyterian, you're part of something. My wife is Presbyterian. They were pretty good in the early days. But anyway, we just existed in an atmosphere of religion. It didn't guide us. It talked about goodness. And we were to determine how good we were or what good means. And nobody explained it to us. And we just went about establishing our own goodness. Then we began to assume that if I die, I would go to heaven because I'm not bad enough to go to hell. Nobody told us about sin and repentance and forgiveness. We heard those words, but it didn't mean anything. And we were just assuming that because we don't kill people and rob banks and go through life as a terrorist, then we surely will go to heaven because we're not bad enough to go where those people are going. And as a result, sin became nothing. It had no meaning. It didn't change our lives. We weren't affected by sin. When people talked about it, we're all right because the religious system that we were in left us alone spiritually. They wanted our money. They wanted our presence. They wanted the numbers, and they wanted all the things that go with it. But they weren't, I don't think, so interested in my soul as a human being walking through this life, ultimately answerable to God for what I did with my life. Nobody ever seemed to emphasize that. That's one of the great failures of the church because without vision, without you knowing what's, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to live, without that, you can't have a conviction. If you don't have a conviction, then you have no reason. You may be able to quote the Bible. You may be able to teach uh, extravagant things in the Bible, sophisticated things, deep things. You may be able to teach on archaeological stuff and findings and relationships to history and times and seasons. You can do all of that. Do all of that without your life being determined by the word. Because without vision, 
the word becomes a dead letter. It's just a thing we listen to. It's a thing we do, but it has no pop. Now, that's where the fire will come in in just a moment. Listen to what another translation or two says about our verse here. The one translation says, where there is no vision, the people are uncontrolled. And it is difficult to discipline people who are uncontrolled. If you've been allowed to be a free thinker all your life, you're not going to stay in any church very long that tells you you must obey God because you've already talked yourself out of that. Another translation says, without vision, the people are made naked. They're exposed. Well, that's what the word means. It means made naked or let loose. Another translation says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. You start drinking, social drinking, living together, watching stuff, going places, allowing yourself to be involved with things you shouldn't be involved in. You know, again, your deepest ground-level philosophy says you're not bad enough to go to hell. You're not that bad. So you allow yourself to do things. You cast off restraint. The darkest time in Israel's history, perhaps, in 1 Samuel Chapter 3 and verse 1, in the days when the boy Samuel, remember Hannah, brought her little boy Samuel, and he gave him to the priest, Eli. And the Bible said there was no open vision in those days. The people were without guidance. The nation was in disarray because they had no vision. Well, there's no difference in a very good gathering of nice, kind church folks without vision. We, too, are in disarray. It doesn't take much for us to fall apart. It doesn't take much of an event or much of a news broadcast for us to lose hope because it seems like we're not holding on to something that is for us so God-sent that it cannot fail. And as a result, we don't do as well as we should. Vision, the word vision simply means a revelation a divine communication, God speaking to his people direction. That's what vision should be. It is when God begins to show us things that he wants us to see, direct things, specific things, things about tomorrow. The Bible said the Holy Spirit would show you things, things to come, all of this so we would be ready how to conduct our affairs as a church, how to live our lives as Christians. There's no guesswork in it. It's not up to what do you think or what do they think or what are they doing or well, what do you think we ought to do? There's no guesswork when there is vision, when you know in whom you have believed and you are convinced that that's right and that God watches over that and honors that to perform it. There's no guesswork in how you ought to live. You don't have to wonder, well, I wonder what the... God will show you in his word. Unless you've convinced yourself you don't need it. Unless you convince yourself, I've already heard all that stuff. Let me tell you something. The very things that we heard 30 years ago are still things that we need right now to be working for us. Now, today. The power has never left that word. Never. Never. 
sometimes I think God give us a fresh revelation of that word. Show us again the power and the enthusiasm and the might that comes with all of that word. Look what happens in religion. Look at the first chapter of Proverbs in religious circles. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22. How long, you simple ones? The word means naive. <laughs> so it's not really an insult. But how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. How long? I don't want to hear all that. I got other things. All right. Verse 23, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on unto you. I will make known my words because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But let's look at this, how sad this is. But you have said it not, all my counsel and would none of my reproof. You set it aside. You didn't really want it anymore. And verse 32 says, For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. The turning away of the simple shall destroy them. Now, the word perish in our text, where there is no vision, the people perish. It's used twice here another form. The word said it not is a word we could use for perish. Same word. And the word turning away in verse 32 is perish. But that's what happens when you perish. You turn away. How many of you remember the verse in Hebrews 10, 32 or 33? The just shall live by faith. But, see, once you start living the way God wants you to live, he said he didn't say there's a vacation in here. He said, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Why is it when you say that people who don't want to hear that kind of cringe, ah, oh, why does he keep talking like that? Because that's what the scripture said. It's what is so common happening amongst Christians. They start well, they just don't finish. They're like seeds sown amongst thorns or sown amongst stones. They do well early and then they give up. You have to keep warning people. Don't give up. That's our last point. Stay with it. We're talking about putting three things together today that will ensure that you'll never give up. You'll never fall apart. You'll go through your struggles, but you'll never fall apart. See, in religion... Where there is no vision, people essentially, as I've already said, are left to their own imaginations, their own ideas, and their own ways. If there were 30 different churches in this town, you have 30 different opinions of how a man thinks it ought to be done. They all do something right, but the very foundation of what they're doing leaves out something. I'm not against all those people. I'm just saying I want to be right. I have to point out things that aren't right so you can see the contrast sometimes. We're not perfect here. Somebody once asked, said, you think it's the only church there is? And I looked him right in the eye and I said, I never said that. 
You never, you have never heard me say that. Heaven knows that there are many places and many things greater than we are here, much greater. But that won't keep us from trying to be as much as God wants us to be. That'll never hold us back or discourage us. Well, we'll never be. We've, I don't care who we are, how few or how great. We've got a vision, a direction. And you are the church. You've got yours, but we should have ours to walk in this way that God wants, to not leave you to your opinion, but to correct your opinion. If your opinion is wrong, should it not be corrected? You may not know that you're wrong until you get the word. God sends out his word. His word becomes light. Light illumines darkness. You say, oh, I didn't know that. I had that wrong. That's a good thing. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Why? That I may walk in thy truth. Without vision, you allow yourself freedoms you shouldn't have. The church turns its head when sin is taking place amongst members in the church. You just sort of turn your head because you don't want to be so strict, so legal. So you allow them to sin, and then God judges the church or judges people. And we wonder why. We learn to depend on, on man's intellect. We go by logic, what's logical and reasonable in the church. Well, who would do, why would you lay, you know, that's crazy. I mean, God has invented all the medical world for our well-being. I'll say this, there's a lot of people that do need it, and I'm glad it's out there. But there is something better. There is something better. Something that is always present with you, can lodge in you and abide there. You got to teach people. That means you got to see it. It's like vision. I see something that is from God. I see it, and I want to see it. This word again, perish. He said, you have said it not. You see that down in verse 25? But you have said it not. That's perish. That's why people perish. That's why Christians are living perishing perishing while they're alive. Does that make sense? They're living, going down. They're not going down as far as they're concerned. They're doing all right. But it's just a matter of time. It just keeps going down. And sometimes, who knows where along the way you reach that time in your life in which a doctor says there's nothing more they can do or somebody else. It's sometimes just a struggle, folks. I feel strongly about this as a pastor. I really do. I really, really do. I'd like to be a stranger, and I'd like for this congregation to be a stranger to any and every medical system in the world. That I'm glad for it, for there's people that will die without it, but for us, I'm glad that we found something better. And the something better is offered, but it's got to be seen. You cannot believe it because I say it. Your faith cannot be based on what a man said. That's man-made religion. Your faith has to be based on the word of God. That's the whole purpose of ministry is to point you to Jesus. What good am I or anybody else that stands in pulpits if they're not pointing you to Christ? Trust him. Let's do it his way. Let's find out what he says. If we're not doing it that way, let's make a change. 
let me tell you one of the greatest things that God ever did to the church. He put teaching ministries in it. He did to instruct us. Can you go back one book to the left of the book of Psalms? Psalms 32 and verse 8. I will instruct you. Listen to what, listen to this promise, all of you. Rebuke languishing. Listen to this. I will instruct you the way in which you should go and teach you, didn't he? I will instruct you and I will teach you. Here's what one translator says. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you. My eye shall be on you. Let me ask you something. What about the end of that person's life? If God is indeed instructing you and you want to be instructed and you seek instruction, you desire to be taught of the Lord, and you will determine if the Lord is teaching you by whether or not the teaching lines up with Scripture. And if it does, the Lord is teaching you. God said, I will instruct you and I will teach you the way you should go. Two or three years ago, fighting a decision that I needed to make and I wasn't sure what to do. And I came on that verse. I forget how it happened, but I read that and just like a big picture popped out of the Bible. There it is. God said, I'll teach you what you should do. And personally, I will guide your life. Personally, I will counsel you. You may not hear a voice, but I will personally see to it that the way I want you to go, you will indeed go. If you will listen and if you will heed the word, God will bring you where he has sent you to go. And at the end of your life, it'll be heaven with a bowed head and a thankful heart for his grace and his mercy, you'll thank the Lord for heaven. You won't walk in there going, yeah! But with grateful and thankful hearts that his mercy was greater than your troubles and that his grace was greater than your struggles, you made it. You made it, you came in, and you made it. Let me ask you a question before I go to my second point. What is your vision? What is your personal vision? You're sitting in here today. Your mind is in, in gear. What is your personal vision for your life? I've had this asked me several times. People come and say, what, what are we doing here? What are we, where are we going? Well, you know, my loftiest ideas and designs, making disciples out of every believer. How's that? making sure that all of those that God gives you that are, are being made disciples of, that they're being taught or that they are shown how to overcome and to get the victory in life or that they are so being prepared for the Lord's coming that when he comes, they'll be looking for him. The Bible says, and to those that look for him, shall Jesus appear. Not everybody will see him, but somebody will. Somebody will. Hebrews said those that look for him. Well, I want you to be like that. I don't want you to go out in the yard every five minutes every day and go, like that. It's a spiritual thing. I want you to have ingrained in your spirit 
that Jesus is coming. Not coming for just ordinary church members. He's coming for that bride that Jesus said has made herself ready. How do you make yourself ready? Well, that is a sermon in itself, but by giving heed to the things of God. That's how you do. Nobody can give heed for you. Nobody can hear for you. Nobody can make you learn. The best instruction in the world is nothing more than empty words unless you want to hear it. Unless you want to hear it. Unless you have a desire for it. There's got to be that kind of a heart inside of you. God wants you to be faithful. My prayer is that you would be faithful. And if people have said, well, what are we doing? I don't care what lofty ideas I have for us as a church. It will never happen if you don't want it to happen. So you can't make a herd or a group of people do everything the same way if they don't want to. If there is argument, or this, this is back in the old days, if there was arguments and dissensions and finger pointing, do you really think good things are going to flow out of that? No. So you start dealing with, with those kind of things, and then you lose that crowd. Praise God, and you bring peace back. Excuse me. My vision is for my own personal life. I want to be ready when Jesus comes. More than anything I can think of right now, I want the Lord to say to me at the end of my days, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I can't think of anything I want more than that. I can't say it for you. You can't say it for me. It's just my personal relationship with God. It'll either be that way or it won't. I will either pursue that because God has shown it to me or I will set it aside and assume that because I go to church and I've been baptized in water and I give money and go on, do this and I'm all right. And I'll let the whole thing slip by. And I'll reach a day in my life in which I don't know what to do. But I don't want to ever come to that. I want to be able to say my whole life, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded. That brings me to my second point, fire. In this threefold Core that will never be broken, fire. Fire is what keeps you from being dull and listless. Fire is what keeps you from being bland. Having fire in your bones, a fire in your heart, having fire from God is passion. Having fire is zeal. Those people who just want to talk about Jesus, you know how they make you nervous? They just want to talk about Jesus all the time. I'm thinking of a little brother here, spoke here not long ago, Tony. You're wasting your time to talk about anything but Jesus around him. It's such a pleasant man to talk to because he's got a good spirit, and he, he is so full of what Jesus has given him that he's never wanted anything else. That's the joy of his life. That's what compels you to witness to people. That's what compels you to ask questions about people's soul and their salvation. That's what compels you to be concerned about people or to go where you might have an influence on somebody's life. 
It's what compels you to take your children as a precious treasure that God wants them to be godly seed and citizens of his kingdom and pour into those kids from their earliest ages the best you got so that they understand Jesus like you understand him. It's zeal, something that compels you to do that. When God gives you a vision and there is a drive in you that wants to embrace that vision, and live that vision not once and twice and not for a little while, but all the time. You're the kind of person who is going to press into the kingdom. And you're going to enjoy Christ in your life. And you're not going to dread what you're going to hear, but you're going to love it. Because you see, without it, without fire, if we have a vision of the Lord without fire, back to that dead letter, we just have a dead word. We may pride ourselves on how much we know or how much we've learned, but if it's not producing in us what it said, it's a seed that bears no fruit. It's a word that's dead. It's just nothing. I read a poem one time. I don't know who wrote it. It must have been an older fellow that had reached the end of his life without much hope, kind of a desperate poem. I don't want it to be true with anybody else, but here's what he said in the poem. He said, I now have ashes where I once had fire. The soul in my body seems dead. The thing I once loved, I now merely admire. And my heart is as gray as my head. I thought, what a tragedy. What a tragedy to start like this. Dun, 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 dun. What a tragedy to start with that and wind up with this. That shouldn't be, should it? There's something wrong in the way this cord is put together or one of these cords are left out. Because fire is what makes you every day wanting to discuss, talk, believe, or something about Jesus. You wouldn't even sit down to think about eating without, first of all, giving thanks to God. It's in your heart. That's just life because God has put this zeal and enthusiasm in your heart. Go to Jeremiah. Go to the right this time. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. The whole 20th chapter is interesting. Jeremiah was a prophet without many friends. Little success is the way today you term success. Every time Jeremiah would open his mouth to a generation that was going to be judged, every time he opened his mouth and told them what God said, they hated him for it. They did terrible things to him. And God caused him to survive. And Jeremiah said in, in verse 9, as he come to a day in his life when he had been beaten and Denied and thrown in a pit and locked in a cellar and with water and old bread. He said, I will not mention him nor speak in his name anymore. But he said, but his word was in my heart like what? A burning fire. Is a word like that? 
What if the word really is like that? Didn't Jeremiah say in chapter 23, he said, is not my word as a fire? And then there's the places as a hammer and a sword. The word is supposed to do something like that. If it's alive, if the word is alive and living in anybody, you live in constant awareness of it. And God put that word in you with fire so that you would be compelled not only to live it, but to not violate it. It's a drive that comes from heaven. You come to the place where you're not even concerned about your life, about your well-being, or about, well, you take no thought for anything. The only important thing is the will of God. And you're determined. It's a determination that is heavenly sent, that God puts this fire in your life and fire in your body, and that's what you begin to do. Paul wrote concerning this, this fire about his own ministry. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have no grounds for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Why would Paul say, I am compelled, I must obey God? Why would he say that? Because he had fired his life. He wasn't complacent. He wasn't indifferent. In all of his wonderful life, he never said, I've had enough, I've heard enough, I've said enough, I'm done. To the very end of his life, he preached the gospel. Even though he was locked up in a jail in Rome, he had his own private quarters, but he was a prisoner, and they came to see him from everywhere just to talk to him. Because they know if you go talk to Paul, you're going to talk about Jesus. Yeah, that's the way it was. Drive. Fire. I would to God. I would to God that all of us had that fire fire in our bones, such a fire that I cannot keep it in. I've got to let it out. The work this word is doing inside of me is a work that must be given. He's doing something in me so that he can do something through me. It's fire. When God speaks to you, whoever you are, when God speaks to you and he has put his pointer on you, his laser on you to specifically receive his word, it should come with this kind of fire. Remember the story of the Emmaus Road in Luke 24? The resurrection has taken place. They heard all he said, but they thought he was going to come back and make Israel what it was, and these two guys are walking away from Jerusalem and they're talking about this and Jesus appears. See, where'd he come from? He just, wherever he wanted to. He just appeared to these guys. They were walking down the road and suddenly he comes along and he says, so what are you talking about? And he said, we're talking about, you know, the story of Jesus. He said, what's all that about? They said, have you been under a box? Have you been hidden? Where have you been? And they said, verse 21, he said, it's the third day, and we don't know what's happened to him. The, the women were there, and John and them went, and they saw that. And verse 25, Jesus began by saying, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all the things that the prophets have said. 
Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? We don't remember that much about it. Boy, verse 27, would you love to have heard that? I don't think there's ever been a message like that in history. That Jesus himself, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Talk about a bestseller amongst some of us. They said, why don't you stay here with us? We're going to eat. And so they went in. As he broke bread, he disappeared. They knew who he was. And then these words, verse 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Brothers and sisters, that's the way it's supposed to be. This is when it's right. This is when all the things are just right. Two men are so concerned about who Jesus was. Jesus appears, explains a lot of things to them. And while he is explaining the word to them, the Bible says there was a fire burning in their heart. It said his word burned in them. Something in there was saying, yeah, wow, praise God. Whoa. There was an enthusiasm that was heaven sent that was bringing them to a place where what they heard is now going to be their life. And they turned around and went back to Jerusalem. And when they got back there and they found the disciples, then Jesus appeared in the upper room. Here I am. It's me. wonder what we would have done if we'd been in that upper room. Probably what they did. They probably just stood there and stared, maybe fell on their faces. And most of them would probably said, I don't understand. And then he explained to them, I didn't come to make Israel chief of the earth. I did not come to break the Roman rule over Israel. I come to save you from your sins. And they begin to see it. Because later on at this time, the Bible said, then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. This is where the fire is. The fire is in the word. Don't ever bring yourself in here with folded arms and say, well, let me listen. He'll be through in about a 40, no, take longer than that. He'll be through in about an hour. Well, that's probably better. But zeal and fire means you have deep interest in the word and it's what's compelling to you. You got to have it. We need fire. And the third thing, if you've got a vision, you've had a revelation of who Jesus is, and you've got this burning desire to understand it and to live it and to know it, one thing is added to this. You must hold on to it. Perseverance. Perseverance is steadfastness. Steadfastness is, is enduring. It's commitment to the task. God's instruction so often points us to a task. This is the way walking into the walk is what you do. You do it because it's in there for you to do it. You want to do it. And you do it because you can see it. It's a threefold cord where God shows you something. You got to fire to do it because without it, you won't. 
And then once you start, once you put your hands to this plow, you hold on to it because from this point on, there is no drawing back. And yet, in the many years I've stood here, I can't say in all the churches I've pastored, I haven't pastored but one. You all ruined me because you spoiled me. But in all these years, I've seen lots and lots of people attach themselves to God, and I've seen people disattach themselves from what they had heard and set it aside, and I don't know what else. Left it. Why do you leave? You leave because somebody died? You leave because you prayed for somebody and they died, and therefore... Oh, if it's not going to work and I'm not going to do it, then your relationship to God is quite personal because it's only as deep as you getting your prayer answered. And if God doesn't answer your prayer, you're going to quit? I'd have to question not only your fire, but your commitment. Are you going to quit because somebody did you wrong, talked about you, caused you to lose this or that? There was an accident in which this or that happened. Are you going to quit now? Are you going to throw your hands up? So many have said, well, if that's the way it's going to be and you're never sure faith is going to work, well, I, 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 what are you going to do? You can go to another church. Nobody said you can't. They're going to teach you how to be faithful. They're going to leave you alone. I don't know. I'm not their judge. I don't listen to them. What are you going to do? Are you going to just... Give up and quit because it's not going your way, because you thought it would be better. You thought the Christian life was a hundred-yard dash and are learning it's a marathon. Have you heard that verse that says many will seek to enter in and will not be able? They will complain that it's too hard, it's too far, too hot, too slow, too old, too something. I'm not ready for that. I don't know if I'm going to do that. And I think, that's a, is that why you're going to change your beliefs? I would say hogwash real loud, but I know that's not a very good word. What did you expect when you got saved? You expect that God gave you some kind of little carpet you kneel on and you rub it and out comes an angel and says, may I take your order, please? Did you think this is some kind of an easy life? I've been a Christian longer than most of you here. While it's been had its great moments and very high highs, it's had a whole bunch of lows. And that's where the devil's greatest challenge comes. Oh, boy, it's over now, isn't it? It worked for a while, but it's not going to work now, is it? Well, this is probably the end right here. I don't think the devil knows what to say if you say, well, if this is the end, I've had a good ride. And I know in whom I have believed and I know where I'm going, so I'm not afraid of that either. Yeah, but you want to die, nobody wants to just die. There's people who are willing to die if they give them the opportunity if they go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. I don't think anybody just planted just, well, I think I'll die tomorrow. It's the point that the man wants to die. You don't know when it is. You're not thinking about dying. You're thinking about living. God has more to say about living than he does about dying, I'm sure. 
And if somebody doesn't do well, you're going to quit? Somebody failed, somebody come up short, somebody dropped the ball and didn't do well, you're going to quit and change your beliefs? Then your whole faith package is based on what a man said and not what God said. You're an easy believer, and you're going to quit as soon as you get a chance. Maybe the quitting is, an, is a chance to escape, to hear the word all the time and go where you don't hear the word. Maybe that's it. You're free to do that. There is no good, logical, acceptable reason on this earth why a person would ever let go of God because of what happened to anybody else. You know, when the great teacher of all of us or to ever, the minister, the pastor, whoever, they died, how many churches quit because a pastor died? Well, their whole thing with God was based on a man. And if somebody new tried to come in and take her, I didn't come here for that, and off they go. Who will quit next? Who in here will quit next? Who in here will back off next and use as an excuse, well, oh, something happened to somebody? Is that right? Let me ask you something. What happened to Jesus? Did he quit? Did Jesus fail? Then why don't you get your eyes on Christ? Quit looking at man and quit looking at preachers and quit looking at other people. Tell you something about all of this. In this life, all of you, all of us, you're going to have to choose in this life between deliverance or sympathy. This may not sound right, but let me explain it. I don't feel sorry for any of you. I don't feel sorry for anybody in this room. I don't know what, where, how, or what's going on, but I feel sorry for none of you because you've been given a treasure. You've been given the equipment that God will use to take you to heaven. You've had time to walk on the mountains with the Lord and enjoy the goodness of God. People I feel sorry for are the people that are, that are dead this morning, that are being lulled to sleep. By man's tales. Is that Second Timothy 4? For the time will come. Maybe verse 3. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And will turn away their ears and their hearts from the truth. And will turn aside unto fables, the concoctions of man's way. That's what fables are, man-made stories. But in Jeremiah 5, he said, that's what people like. They like that kind of thing. They told Isaiah, prophesy smooth things to us. Come on, man. That's the way it works. And that's what's going to happen to a whole lot of people. But those people that are asleep today because of dead traditions... The church I was in, I was as traditional as you could be. You were familiar with the routine and the ritual. You went through it every week. Just like my daddy, his, you know, he knew when to thump on his chest and when to say, Hail Mary, full of grace. He knew when to do all of that. It was ingrained in him. It didn't mean anything in his life. It didn't change his vocabulary. It didn't change his speech. It didn't change his mannerisms or his actions. It just in there to do it. His religion, first of all, was without a vision. 
and there was no fire in it. There was no need to hang on to it because who knows if it'll work anyway. But that's true with the people like us. You're not going to hang on to something you're not sure if it's going to work. There's got to be a commitment to the fact that God said it, therefore it will work. It'll work because God said it. Well, what are you going to do if it doesn't? I can't change it. Like that high school principal said to me one time when I spoke at a school in Raceland, Kentucky, where I coached basketball for three years, testified to the school there and talked to them about my life and about Jesus. After it was over, the principal, in thanking me for coming, he said, could I ask you a question, preacher? And I could tell he's a good old boy. And I said, sure. He said, what are you going to do if all this isn't right, if all this isn't true? You mean about the Lord and stuff? I said, yeah. I said, if it's not true, and if it doesn't work, I've had a good life. I've had more peace of mind I've ever had in my life. I still love my wife. I love my children. I enjoy what I'm doing immensely. I feel good, doing well. My health is good. I think I've done all right. I just stay with it. And I said to him, what are you going to do if it is true? Today, I would have said, you know, what are you going to do if it is true? If you're not believing this, you're going to die and go to hell. You know that. But see, people don't like to hear that. But it's true. You folks, when you put your hand to the plow, you hold on. Jesus said two places, Matthew 10 and Matthew 24, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. You can never quit. You may fall. You may feel like backsliding. You may even draw back for a moment, but God has his hand on you. He brings you back. You cannot quit. There is life at the end of this road, and without this road, there is death on every other road. The Broadway leads to death. The Bible says that just shall live by faith. If you draw back, you have nothing. Don't draw back. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't base your faith on what happens to other people. Base your faith on what you read and what you've learned in this book. Luke 14, he said, you've got to love God and his way more than your life. More than your life, which is such a treasure to us. We owe our life. He said, you've got to put Jesus before your life, before your mother, before your brother, before your sisters, before anything and everything. You can love nothing more than Jesus. And whatever he wants, if you have to choose between your life and God, you choose God. Before you put your hand to the plow this morning, or whoever is, hadn't done it yet, you better ask yourself the questions. It isn't hard to get you to confess, I want to be saved. What it is hard, though, it appears, is keeping you on track. Will you stay with it? Because if you're going to start and not finish, it's best that you don't start. God said, I would that you were either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. In closing, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that's us here, 
those that have gone on before us who left us a testimony, whether we knew them personally or we read about them. Let us, in Shelbyville Christian Assembly, all who watch and all who listen, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. Listen to this translation. Seeing therefore that there is on every side of us such a throng of witnesses, let us lay aside everything that hinders us and the sin that clings about us and run with patient endurance the race that lies before us. You got it to do, folks. You joined. You asked him. You've got this to do. Another translation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking Unto Jesus. Not our system, not our accomplishments, not our family, not our time and efforts and money spent, but looking unto Jesus. This is a cord that cannot be broken, but it's a cord that only you personally can receive and put together. Vision, fire, and perseverance. If you do these things, I doubt you'll ever fall. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, our gracious God and Savior, our Redeemer, and our friend, I ask you to look upon us this morning as truly people that are poor in spirit. We're a needy bunch of people this morning, Lord. Our needs are spiritual. We began this year talking about revival, and Lord, we need to be revived. Like that old song said that send down the fire, Lord, we need the fire. We need that something that no matter what happens can put a smile on our face an attitude that we are able to count it all joy when we fall into different kinds of difficulties. A life that carries with it a testimony of trust in Jesus so that when others ask us, how can you do that, that we will be able to give them an answer. Lord, there are people in this room that, that, that need to grasp what I've said this morning. Yet I pray they won't grasp it because I said it, but that you have witnessed to their heart that it's the will of God. You are good to us, O oh God, much more than we've ever deserved. You've been kind and gracious to us beyond our best ideas. We're not this morning here without needs, without concerns, Concerns for our brothers, concern for others. But we know that you've given us a word that will help us know that you'll take care of all of this. You will. Now I ask you in Jesus' name to bless to the hearts of all your people your word. To make them strong, unwavering, so that nobody 
nobody who hears my voice this morning will ever give up, will ever quit, will ever fall away. Do the renewing that we need done, the reviving that we need. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Yeah.